This past Thursday night at our uh, Seder dinner, though there are several questions that are asked by a child. And the first uh, question that's asked is, what makes this night different than any other night? I would ask that same question today. What makes this day different than any other Sunday? Now, I know the answer is pretty simple. I mean, duh, Pastor Scott, it's Easter Sunday, duh. Okay, but what makes it so special? For some, today is a day of family celebrations. I love family celebrations. I think I'm at my happiest when we have all three of our kids and their spouses and their kids and we're all in the same room around the table and it's noisy and it's chaotic and there's laughter and I love those times. For some, it might be one of those times a year where they go to church. It's the thing to do and I love it when anybody comes to church. For some, it's like the real beginning of spring. You know, it's, it's like, this is it. And, and I know when I was a kid, Easter Sunday was when you got to wear the new clothes, right? My great pain in my life, I was reminded of it until maybe the year before my mother passed away. I was nine years old. I had a brand new suit. They had forgotten to cut the tags off. I decided I could do it myself. I clipped the sleeve. I never lived that down, ever. But I like the new clothes. For some, it's an Easter egg hunt, or it's the candy and the, and the chocolate rabbits. Maybe it's grandma's spiral ham and, and the marshmallows melted all over the, the sweet potatoes. Easter means a lot of things to a lot of people. But I will submit to you this morning if we took all of that away, take away the trimmings and the commercialism, take away the food, take away the family celebrations in its simplest of forms, Easter would still be a most awesome day because Easter is not about all the stuff. Easter's the day we remember one event. It's about the fact that Jesus Christ proved all that he claimed about himself. He conquered death. He rose from the grave. He's alive and well. And he desires more than anything else a personal, loving, growing faith relationship with every one of us. Today we're going to look at a story in Scripture it's not, it's actually a pre-Easter story, but it's still a story about resurrection. And we're going to learn about the power of resurrection through this story. I would invite you, if you have them with you in whatever form, written or electronic, to take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. John 11 takes place just maybe days, maybe a few weeks before the events that we call Holy Week. 
before Jesus riding into Jerusalem uh, and the people shouting Hosanna. We call that Palm Sunday. Before that whole week, that's the Holy Week and the crucifixion. In John 11, we're reminded that Jesus had some very close friends. Their names were Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus. And they um, sent word to Jesus. They sent word to him that Lazarus was ill. He was very sick. And in fact, uh, John 11, verse 2, we read, uh, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Can you think about that? Lord, one of your best friends is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That just doesn't make sense to me for the normal person. Remember, Jesus always has a plan. He always has a plan. He always knows what he's going to do. So he stays two more days. Then, after the second day, he said, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and you're going back? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Remember, Jesus has a plan. Don't forget that. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. So they go. They go to Bethany. I don't know how long it took them there. The the Bible sometimes doesn't give us all the time frames. But we see in verse 17 when he comes that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. I want you to keep that time frame in mind. That's very important. Because in the Jewish culture of the day, when a person died, there was this belief out there that the, the spirit of the person hung around for three days, just in case it might be asked to go back into the body. But on the fourth day, it's gone. So according to those there, and and by the way, the mourning period was seven days. So the day he died, there was seven days of mourning. So after the fourth day, it's like he's good and dead. And so that's when Jesus arrives. Now they're just two miles from Jerusalem, just there, just about ready to crest the Mount of Olives. And so there are people who came out to Bethany. Uh, apparently, Lazarus and Mary and Martha were well known. We'll see in a minute, they owned a tomb that they could put a body in. You had to be a little bit wealthy to do that. Uh, it would be like in this day to own a mausoleum or a part, you know, you have to have some, some coin to be able to do that. And, and so there were people coming from Jerusalem to see them. Also at that period of time, there were people that were professional mourners. 
and they would come and they would just sit around and they would cry and they would mourn with you. And so there's this scene that you have to see of people not just quietly like we do, quietly at a funeral home, maybe eating some snacks, but no, this was crying and weeping and wailing. And so Jesus comes and Martha hears that Jesus is coming and she doesn't even wait for him to get to her house. She goes running to him. And you'll notice the words that she says and and understand in the culture, you don't rebuke anybody right to their face like, where have you been? You don't do that. That's not polite. Martha comes to him and says, Lord, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, where were you? We sent word to you. We asked you to come. And if you would have been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Jesus, remember he said earlier, I'm going there to wake him. Remember that in verse 11? Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. He's he's giving her a clue what's coming. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. There were many Jews. uh, There were two groups of religious leaders in Jerusalem. There were the Pharisees. They believed in a resurrection. There were the Sadducees. They did not believe in a resurrection. And Martha's just quoting what she's heard all her life. Yes, he'll rise again on the last day. I get that. And Jesus says this to her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come to the world. And then she goes back and finds Mary. Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection. I am the life. And I think that is probably the most amazing I am statement of the seven that are in this gospel. Jesus is claiming to have power over life and death. Jesus is claiming that death is not the final reality for those who believe in him. Jesus is claiming to be the eternal one who not only created life, but who can restore life. And Jesus leaves Martha with that question, and I want you and I to consider that question this morning. Do I believe Jesus is truly the resurrection and the life? That's a huge question. You see, if one really believes that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, it changes everything. And to believe that begins with what happened on Good Friday. Do I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, for the sins of the world, that he did that to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Do I believe that? Have I invited Jesus to come into my life, to be the forgiver and the leader of my life, and developed a faith relationship with him? If I've done that, I believe this. Resurrection changes everything. Resurrection tells me Jesus is alive. Resurrection tells me that when my circumstances are overwhelming, 
I still know that the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one who is the resurrection and the life, can give me the strength I need today. Because when I put my faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells my life in a way that I can't explain and is with me. When my grief is suffocating, I can lean into Jesus who knew grief and who knew sorrow and he will give me what I need in the moment to take a step forward. That's the resurrection and the life. When my fear paralyzes me, I can call on the one who conquered death and I can lean into the Holy Spirit and trust his strength to help me face my fear. But for Martha, in that moment, that was so much more than she could handle. Her grief is overwhelming. Something we need to understand really briefly about the culture. With Lazarus alive, Martha and Mary had means. They had ways to to survive. When when Lazarus died, he didn't leave a a life insurance policy. Uh, When Lazarus died, he, he, you know, he didn't, there was not a will uh, in that culture. The man really ran the show uh, when a, a, a woman became a widow. If there was not a son, she had virtually nothing. And, and so here it is. They're, they're, they're just trying to process what their life is going to be about. This is more question than she can handle. But Jesus has a plan. He's setting her up for something that's going to be amazing. She goes to Mary. Remember, Mary's the one that one day when Jesus stopped by their house, Martha was in the kitchen fixing stuff, and Mary went and sat at the feet of Jesus and just learned. And and so Mary comes to Jesus, and Mary does what Mary does. First of all, she gets up and she charges out. Now the the, the mourners are there, and they think that Mary is going to the tomb to mourn Lazarus. So they think, oh, we can't leave her by herself. We've got to go with her. So here comes Mary, and here comes a bunch of people with her. And Jesus hasn't moved. He's he's still outside the village. He hasn't even gotten into the village yet. And and Mary comes and what does she do? She she falls at his feet. In verse 32, she asks him the exact same question that Martha did or makes the same statement. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, where have you been? Why didn't you come when we called you? Jesus, verse 33, sees Mary weeping. You can just imagine. This this wasn't just a shedding tear. This was an ugly cry. I mean, the streaks of tears on her face. He can see that she is just distraught. And and he sees the Jews coming along and and maybe some of them were professional mourners, maybe some of them weren't. And and once again, he sees these people weeping. And this is not just a kind of a snivel, it's a a lament, it's a grief. And, And John says these words, when he saw her weeping, verse 33, and the Jews who are coming with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That translation soft pedals it. The, the word that is deeply moved is, is a word that is used of a war horse 
getting ready to go into battle and it snorts. Or a, a horse, if you've ever watched the, the Kentucky Derby or any of those races, and you see those horses, really, they're ready to go. They are thoroughbreds, they are trained to race, and they, they can't wait till that gate opens and they get to run. And some of them are snorting. It's a, it's a word used for humans. It's just a, a, an anger. It's a, it's a rage. It's an outrage. Jesus is angry at death. He is angry at what it does. He is angry at the grief it brings. He's angry at the sin that brought it all about. And, and I find it very interesting when they look at the different aspects of grief. One of the aspects of grief is anger. In Jesus' anger in this moment at death and what it does to the people he loves, I find a Jesus who understands. Jesus knows what it's like to be upset and angry at the circumstances that you and I as humans cannot fully control. And that understanding grows. Hear this today. Jesus really understands you and me. Jesus' anger wells up. You know, he knows what he's planning. But it's the moment, it's the time frame, it's the people, it's, it's all that he sees going on. And then John eleven thirty four, 34, he says, where have you laid the, him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the verse I memorized first as a kid, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Got it, done, give me my prize. There is so much in those two words. There is so much reality, so much understanding, so much awareness. Jesus isn't weeping because his friend has died. Jesus is weeping because he is there in the middle of the mess of humanity. You know, Jesus, we, we celebrated at Christmas, the, the coming of Christ at Christmas the, the theological word is the incarnation. It's, I think, one of the most amazing realities. God, the eternal God, stepping into the mess of humanity. Stepping in. You know, we, 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 we shouldn't over-humanize Jesus, but we shouldn't also not let him be human. Jesus had to be burped and diapered and fed. Jesus had to be taught how to walk. Jesus had to, to learn. He entered the mess of humanity just like you and I did. I wonder if he grew a little fast and got Osgood slaughters in his knees. They didn't know it, but his knees hurt. Maybe he struggled with a little bit of acne. Oh, Pastor Scott, he was human. The writer of the book of Hebrews says he was fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus gets you. He gets me. He understands us. We can go through the scripture. There was a time when everybody left, and in a sense of loneliness, he turned to the disciples and said, you don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus understands us. When his cousin, his, 
and his friend and the forerunner, John the Baptist, was, was murdered by Herod. Jesus said to his disciples, come on, let's go apart and, and let's just, he needed to feel it for a moment. He needed, to, he needed a moment to process. The Jews said, see how he loved him, but it wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about Lazarus. It was about them. And then there were the doubters. You see verse 37? Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? <laughs> and I don't know if Jesus hears that yet, but I think inside he's going, he ain't seen nothing yet. So they take him to the cave. And once again, he's more deeply moved when he comes to the tomb. Once again, there's that guttural outrage, that visceral response, because that tomb, that tomb represents death. It represents finality. It represents the end. And Jesus knew that it wasn't. And the first thing he says is, take away the stone. The, the tombs in Israel, just like the one Jesus laid in, they're hewed out of some rock, they're a cave. In that tomb were several like beds kind of carved out of the rock. A person, when they died, would be taken right away and they would be wrapped in cloths. Their legs would be wrapped, their torso, everything would be wrapped. And, and as they're wrapping those cloths, they're sprinkling spices in them. And it was Jewish tradition uh, based in, in the Old Testament that you had 24 hours from the time they died till the time you put them into the tomb. They would put them in the tomb. They would roll that stone over to protect them from wild animals and to protect the people from the stench of a decaying human body. And after a, a period of time when it was sense that the, the, they knew that the body had decayed, they would go back in and they would gather up all the bones and put them in a small box called an ossuary and move it to the back of the tomb and now we're ready for the next person, the next person in the family. So Jesus goes, he says, take away the stone. And Martha, because Martha's the practical one, Martha says, Lord, by this time there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. You've heard me say this before, I just like to say it anyway. I grew up in learning the King James. You know, Lord, by now he stinketh. Yes, he stinketh. Lord, it's going to be bad. You don't get it. This is going to be really bad. Maybe you've not been near a dead body, Lord, but it's bad. And Jesus says, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And note Jesus' prayer here. It's very short. Don't think that super long prayers are holy. Sometimes the shortest prayers are the holiest and most practical. My favorite prayer is Peter's when he was going down for the third time in the Sea of Galilee when there was a storm and he said, Lord, help. I can relate to that. Jesus says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, 
take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me leave you with my final point today and then I'm going to explain it. Because Jesus is the resurrection, we can have true freedom. I want to use the grave clothes as a metaphor this morning. Lazarus, when he came out, was instantaneously alive. Nothing had to happen. In fact, you think about it. If any of you have ever had a lengthy hospital stay, you know how that the, 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 you, you have to kind of start walking kind of slowly again and get going. I've been, been to the hospital with people where, you know, we make a lap around the nurse's station and it's like, whew, that was an accomplishment. And, and all. Lazarus came walking. You think about it. Everything happened instantaneously because Jesus is not only the resurrection, he's the life. The, the, the synapses in the brain all connected and he stood up with perfect balance. The, 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 the flesh that, he had, that had been decaying is instantaneously restored. The, the heart is pumping again. He, he, the, the coordination, the nerve endings, everything is working so he can walk, but he's wrapped in grave clothes. I imagine him hobbling kind of out of the grave. He's all wrapped up. And they're, they, they, some of us today are kind of wrapped up in grave clothes. See, some of us today are physically alive, but our lives are hobbled by grave clothes. And I want you to know that the living, living, risen Jesus Christ wants you to be free from your grave clothes. Some of us are bound by the grave clothes of fear and worry. We're afraid. We're afraid of what we see going on in our world. We're afraid that maybe we're going to be alone. We're, we're afraid that maybe our kids won't turn out the way that we want them to turn out. We're afraid for our jobs. We know pink slips are coming out again next week, and are we going to survive that layoff? We're, we're, we worry. We worry maybe my ham is not going to be as good as grandma's ham, and I, I'm sitting here today worrying about that. We worry that someone won't like the gift we got them. We worry that our car won't start. That We worry that maybe the check won't come in time. And there's so many things. And repeatedly the scriptures tell us to fear not. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, we're told not to worry. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Everything. You can pray about everything. You know, years ago, um, our, our friend Bill's dad passed away in Florida. And Bill called me and said, Scott, we need to get to the airport. Can you take us to the airport? And we've got, here's our flight and all. It was right in the middle of rush hour. I remember picking them up at their house. And as they got in the car, I said, Lord, speed us on our way. By God's grace, we got into what I would call a pocket of traffic that just moved. I had them from West Chicago to O'Hare staying in the, well, in the Chicago speed limit, okay? Staying in the Chicago, in 40 minutes. Took me an hour to get home. You can pray about everything. But the Bible tells us that when we pray, it's not that God just, does those things. He does. He answers prayer. But it says the real answer is 
verse 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind. When I worry, I pray, and God says, that's where I want you. Stay with me. Because Jesus is alive, we can pray and know that our worry can be replaced with peace. He conquered the fear of death. And let me just add something. If you have a steady diet in your life right now, of listening to voices, because we have lots of voices, and maybe it's voices in the media, maybe it's your family, maybe it's something else, but you're listening to voices, and all of those voices just seem to make you more afraid. They seem to make you worry more. Oh, no, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What do I do? If you're listening to voices that keep making you afraid, stop it. Turn it off. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of discipline and a sound mind. Some of us are bound by the grave clothes of guilt. The resurrection reminds us of God's love and complete forgiveness. I'm not going to go into it today, but I would tell you in your reading this week, turn to the very last chapter of the book of John, John 21, and read that story. Read the account of Jesus calling Peter back. Peter who had denied three times that he knew him. And Jesus invited him back. He forgave him. He put him in a position of leadership. If you are struggling with guilt, I want you to know you have a God who says when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God's forgiveness is complete. Our enemy wants us to suffer guilt. The resurrection and the life has already paid for that sin. Some of us are bound by the grave clothes of bitterness and unforgiveness. And you say, but Pastor Scott, you do not know how devastated I was. Pastor Scott, you don't know how much it hurt. You don't know how much they took advantage of me. I want you to know because of Jesus, we have the Freedom to forgive. Forgiveness does not mean it was okay. It wasn't. It was sin. It was wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you forget. You do not forget. Forgiveness means I release. I release my right of vengeance because Jesus says through the Apostle Paul, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And it says, I trust God. I forgive this person, God. I release them. I trust you to deal with it in your time, in your way. I let it go. It was theologian Lewis Smead that said, forgiveness sets a prisoner free. And then I discover that the prisoner was me. Some of us are bound by the grave clothes of despair. We just feel like things are hopeless. But resurrection is the key to hope because Jesus conquered death. He's able to help us in ways that we can't ask or imagine. Some of us are still bound by the grave clothes of grief and sorrow. And grief is not wrong. Grief is natural. It's a human response to loss. But Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we grieve. It's okay to grieve. It's not wrong to grieve. Don't let anybody put a limit on your grief. But he says we grieve 
but not as, as those who have no hope. Yeah, I, I, I grieve the loss of loved ones in my life, but I know I'll see them again. That's the hope. Resurrection is about freedom. And I haven't listed all the grave clothes, but you know, you know what's binding you. Anything that's keeping you from being free in Christ, anything that's holding you back, Maybe it's the, 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 the grave clothes of achievement. You want to do better. Maybe it's for, for students, it's the grave clothes of grades. Uh, had a wise professor tell me an A on earth could be a C minus in heaven. May, maybe it's the, the grave clothes of, of all of, of achievement and materialism. Whatever is holding you back, God says, I want you to be free. But I noticed something. Notice something very carefully here. He didn't tell Lazarus to take his own grave clothes off. Did you notice that? He said, take the grave clothes off him and let him go. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, has given you and me a faith community. He's given you and me other people, people who can come along and who can help us, people who, if we give them permission, will gently and lovingly get in our face and say, stop it. People who can sit down with us, like a guy by the name of Norm did with me a bunch of years ago, because I didn't know I had grave clothes on. I've, I have struggled with the grave clothes of anger. I have struggled with the grave clothes of depression. And I remember once in a moment, my, my best friend on the entire planet, my wife, after I had an outburst, she looked at me and she said, make an appointment with Norm now. And I said, yes, ma'am. And he helped me take those grave clothes off and be free. Jesus gives us other people. Lazarus needed help to take the grave clothes off. God has brought people into your life. Neighbors, relatives, friends, teachers, counselors who help you. People who have waded through grief with you and fear with you, and despair, and bitterness, and you're on the other side now, and you're so grateful those people walked with you. God never intended for any of us to walk alone in life. We're designed for relationship and community. The resurrected living Jesus Christ calls all of us who have put our faith in him to be his hands, his feet, his listeners, his encouragers for everyone that we meet so that all can see the glory of God through us. Mary and Martha and those people saw the glory of God in a stunning way. But I tell you, when I've seen people change and transform because they put their faith in Christ, I see the glory of God. I had privilege years ago being part of a baptism of a gentleman who had been a Satanist high priest. And here's where I saw the glory of God when he was a Satanist high priest, and he was a big old guy. He had a dragon, a full-colored dragon tattooed all on his front I mean, and back. I mean, it was big. And he went down into the water, and he came up, and the T-shirt stuck to him, and you saw the dragon, and you knew it had been defeated. It was the glory of God. 
when you see a life transformed, you see the glory of God. Today is a day that is different than any other day. In this day, it's different because we focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We focus on the one who is alive. Do we believe it? We focus on the one who truly understands us. We focus on the one who gives us freedom and makes us more than we ever thought possible when we trust him and follow him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Thank you that we can learn from you and that we can see your glory, maybe not in somebody raising from the dead, but we can see your glory in the life of this one who lived among us, who dwelt among us, who understands us, who's coming back. We can see your glory and change lives around us. We can see your glory in how you've changed us and made us more who you want us to be. Keep working on us, Lord, and use us to be your hands, your feet, your listeners, your encouragers. Because the reason we gather today, as the writer to the Hebrews says, is so that we can encourage one another. So Lord, be glorified as we connect and encourage in Jesus' name. Amen.